1: TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL,
0: America's fastest-growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily.
1: Yeah, I've been fortunate to be around some great coaches, and uh, you know Kyle's certainly one of them. Uh, he's shown that through the years now since, since we uh, have gone our separate ways and uh, just have the utmost respect for him as a coach and as a, as a person.
2: That was Kirk Cousins talking about his relationship with Kyle Shanahan. So, we start the show with a man who has a relationship with Kyle Shanahan. It is the Rosen Bowl here between the Vikings and 49ers, Sage Rosenfels. And that's exactly where I want to start, Sage. Kyle Shanahan has quickly become considered one of the best coaches in the NFL. And even when his team struggled last year, Nick Mullins was averaging over eight yards an attempt. So here's what I want you to tell me to begin the show. How much of the San Francisco 49ers' success is Kyle Shanahan and his brilliant offense? How much is Jimmy Garoppolo and will this work in the playoffs?
3: Well, the team's success uh, is both. I mean, they've done a great job defensively as well. They've done an unbelievable job with that defensive line. So, you know, this is a complete football team. And, you know, this is my fourth radio interview of the day, everybody talking this matchup in particular and talking about the 49ers offense, the Stefanski Kubiak offense in Minnesota and the similarities and the differences. And, uh, you know, so I've been watching a lot of 49ers tape. I actually got it right in front of me now finishing up that Seattle Seahawks game from week 17. They'd, you'll see a lot of the things that the Vikings do in that outside zone, that play action, uh, but you'll see more variations of it and more you know, motions and, and formations. Uh, it's sort of taken what Stefanski and Kubiak do in Minnesota that the Vikings fans have been watching all season uh, and sort of taken it to another level of creativity. Now, sometimes you almost, it almost looks like he tries to create a little bit too much, and so there's a lot going on, um, but uh, they are extremely tough to, to cover defensively. They do so many things. They test all your limits of all your defensive rules and trying to keep the ball in front of you. and And they have some guys who can really roll out there. As far as their wide receivers, obviously George Kittle at tight end. All their running backs guys, they're they're like all four, 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 three type guys. I mean, they might have the fastest. Group of specialty players, of you know, position group, uh, pass catchers and running backs in the NFL. So they are. Uh, there's some similarities uh, uh, to the to the Vikings and, and Kirk Cousins that offense, but um, the differences are the the absolute speed. Of course, the Vikings have Cook and and Diggs is really fast, but. Um they've got it at all the positions and uh and, and they are they are going to be a real challenge for the secondary and this defense to cover everybody and to not lose track and to not get confused uh This defense has uh the work cut out for them
2: so what I really like about watching San francisco's offense sage is that they have Tom Rathman and Brent Jones out there. In uh, Kyle Juszczyk and George Kittle, that you know, what's old is new in this game because we have two very, very good fullbacks. Juszczyk is like a fullback slash tight end. George Kittle is the closest thing to Rob Gronkowski that there has been in the NFL in a while. He's a great blocker. He blocks the run. He blocks the pass. He does not drop any passes. He could go downfield. He can go short and run after catch. Using the fullback and tight end is the most Gary Kubiak-y, Kubiak thing of all time, right? And it's
3: absolutely amazing. And they said, you know, this morning one of my interviews was. Uh, uh, Lorenzo Neal, uh, one of the great oh, fullbacks yeah. we had of him on all the time. Ones. He's great. I believe sixteen years in the NFL, and yeah. so I'm like, listen, if you uh, like uh, the fullback, this you know playoff football. Whether you are talking about the Baltimore Ravens too, but these teams are using their fullback a lot, and obviously more often than not, it's it's the blocking uh, that they do. But uh, uh, the 49ers guy, he's a little more athletic uh, and a little more uh, more of a threat out of the backfield than CJ Ham. So. Yeah, definitely, uh, there'll be a lot of fullback in this football game.
2: Well, and I, I love watching the way that they use Kittle also, because he is incredibly fast for a tight end, and he has the strength too. But they find ways to get him on slip screens and things like that that gets him the ball quickly, and then he runs over people. And here's why it's such a great matchup in my mind, Sage, is that you have a team that's extremely, extremely good at tackling. The, the Vikings, I, I feel like one of their number one assets for why they've been such a great defense for so long is that they just tackle at every single position. Eric Hendricks is fantastic at it, at middle linebacker. And, of course, Harrison Smith is a ring-of-honor type of player. And even the addition of Anthony Harris, before he was such a great playmaker on throws deep that he intercepts all the time, what they loved him for was his tackling. And now you're going up against a guy who shreds tackles like crazy. Kyle Shanahan, the love for the tight end, I mean, it just seems kind of perfect here, but how how does he use George Kittle that makes that relationship so special?
3: Well, you know, the thing that's interesting is, you know, when you go regular personnel, you have that fullback and tight end in the ball game. You or two receivers defensively you have to go with sort of a regular personnel defense, too. You can't go nickel like sometimes teams do when they do the two tight ends and two receiver sets. You know, you see that a team will bring in a nickel guy, maybe be on Irv Smith or somebody, thinking it might be more of a pass than a run. Uh, but you can't do that. So you got to go regular personnel, which means that your tight end, uh, George Kittle, is going to be man-to-man on your strong safety, uh, maybe your free safety, maybe a linebacker. Uh, he is an extremely tough guy to cover. He has great speed, but also in a great ability, ability to get away from people and that's one of those things that y- you have to see on film it's not a combine number he's fast or he it's not a three cone drill number the natural ability to create separation from people uh he can do that so they try to get him the ball absolutely as much as possible and as you said you know sometimes it's screen sometimes it's three step uh sometimes it's sort of trick plays other times it's bootlegs where he's running out- down the field on some sort of corner route sticks his foot in the ground and runs a corner post and he's absolutely wide open. Kyle can create mismatches like that, and that's going to be one of the toughest uh, players to guard on this 49ers offense.
2: So I asked uh, everyone yesterday in some hot routes, if you had one game to coach in the same exact roster, who would you rather have as your head coach, Mike Zimmer or Kyle Shanahan? And I know that you hate questions like this, so I
3: definitely wanted <laughs> yeah, to ask is, you because it's like uh, you know, yeah, it's like it's like asking a question of would you have done something different that happened 250 years ago? It doesn't really matter, right? So, yeah, uh, I, I, I don't know. For me, as a quarterback, of course, you love having offensive guys, you know, as your head coach. As long as you have a really quality defensive coordinator, and Kyle has that with Robert Sala, who, by the way, it was Robert Sala and Matt Matt LaFleur as our quality control coaches in Houston, Texas in 2008. Pretty incredible.
2: And uh also now Gary Kubiak as well coached you in Houston and Kevin Stefanski is the offensive coordinator here as everyone knows, but I wanted to ask you this because I was thinking about Stefanski and his name came up a lot in the head coaching conversations, but all the places except for Cleveland have been filled. And so I want to just take a little detour here and talk about Stefanski for a second. And with him interviewing today, no, tomorrow, I think it's tomorrow, with the Cleveland Browns, A, how do you like him as a head coaching candidate? Because he's another guy you played for because you either know or played for literally everyone in this game. And uh, also, if they offer him the Cleveland job, is that a job you take, or is it too much of a trash fire, and should he stay here and see what happens next year?
3: I hate the Cleveland job. I just do like, you know, as a... It's a guy who can himself a friend of Kevin. Uh, I look at all those jobs that came open. I like the Carolina job. I like this new owner. Uh, I think he'll really relate well with where the NFL is going or, or where I think it should go. Um, you know, the Giants, I have an affinity for. I think they do run a good organization. They just haven't done a good job of finding the right coach and players, but I think they have a very quality. You know, uh, uh, organization Cleveland just it just seems like dirty to me. You know, there's there's constant issues there. There's issues with players. They've been, uh, you know, uh, they've been so unsuccessful pretty much forever uh, since they came back to Cleveland. They've had solo success. It's always been sort of a dumpster fire. There, you know, and 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 this year was supposed to be some good year, and it really wasn't. And and now they're starting over. So I'm just like, you know, man, of all the teams, they're not the Bengals. But they're, you know, they're not too far away from, uh, you know, from, from the Bengals in the sense of you know, the lack of wins and the lack, lack of success. So of all those teams, I, I would try to shy away from the Cleveland Browns. But other people really love that job. I mean, Baker Mayfield's very talented. He is. Uh, he he can really throw the football. He can really rip it. He has some of that far venom. He's still young. I hated watching their offense this year mm-hmm. under Freddie Kitchens. They were a lot of shotgun, you know, a lot of sort of what John D. Filippo was doing uh, last year with the Minnesota Vikings, and I thought they made it hard on Baker and. Didn't have creativity of knowing how to get the ball to OBJ and their athletes, and you know I'm not a big OBJ fan. Uh, uh, you know it, that so so you know I, he might be gone somewhere next year. So that that's a job that you know has some 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 strengths to it. They got two good running backs. They have some strengths to it. But for whatever reason, that organization just seems to be cursed, and uh, you hate to have somebody you like go to a curse organization. Yeah,
2: no, you're right about that. That no matter who they seem to bring in and what the new plan is and what the new quarterback is, it always ha- it seems to go down in flames. The only counter argument that I might make is that Freddie Kitchens was a schmuck. Like The guy clearly had no business being an NFL head coach, and I have no idea what they were thinking in elevating a guy who was a running back coach a couple of years ago and had no experience as a head guy. And just That's some strong bu- bu- language, by up. the
3: way. That, that is some strong language. Well, now, there's you know, there's you know, a lot of ways to coach a football team and everyone has their own style. But you know where he reached right. smuck
2: status was the
3: shirt. <laughs> yeah. Wearing oh, it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, th- I wouldn't I I use that word, but there was an adolescent aspect of that, uh, which usually doesn't uh, isn't successful. Yeah. Well,
2: NFL. I know I know that you're interested in politics. That's a political way to put it. But uh, I I I'm gonna stay with schmuck All because right. they should. My ancestors they would been... be very,
3: My ancestors would be, would be very <laughs> happy with that
2: <laughs> They just should have been such a better team, and the way that they were immaturely handled, like a guy that was a thousand feet in over his head. I don't believe that Kevin Stefanski would do anything ever that would be that immature. For one, I think
3: I think Kevin Stefanski, right, in a lot of ways, is the good of Jason Garrett—likable, a leader, a professional, someone who treats everybody the right way—from the uh, from the from the cook in the cafeteria uh, to the custodian uh, to the you know quarterback. Uh, he's a really good person, uh, per- uh, a people person. Uh, he's not a- somebody that BS's people. Um, he has a ton of common sense, and I also think he has a much more creative. Uh, and detailed offensive mind over freddie kitchens and like a jason garrett right i think he brings the quality offense that maybe jason didn't have or or whatever it was as far as some some of those coaching uh, miscues that he made over the years Uh, but the likability i can see him uh you know being a a very very head coach and he's extremely mature again he's the opposite sort of what Whatever Freddie Kitchens was this year. And that's
2: why I was thinking that him and Baker Mayfield might actually work out pretty well together because Kevin has worked with all sorts of different personalities throughout his career. You couldn't get a whole lot opposite from Teddy Bridgewater to Kirk Cousins, and yet here he is working with Kirk Cousins and having guys who are fiery like Diggs and Thielen and, you know, having guys who want the football like, you know, Kyle Rudolph and so forth. You got a lot of egos and veteran players that you deal with here, but you don't notice it as much, I think, in part because of the way he handles things. And you go to Cleveland, they underachieved last year with a quarterback who's clearly not mature enough to handle the gig just yet, but is young and somebody who brings a mature and detailed attitude, plus lots of bootlegs, which I think Baker would be really good with that. I mean, the the times where he was in the pocket, I saw some panic in Baker Mayfield. The kid's a great athlete.
3: The kid is a, a fantastic athlete. And you know, if Stefanski gets that job, I'm I'm going to call him up and say, hey... Any way I can come to Cleveland and tell Baker Mayfield to listen to everything you have to say <laughs> and to do whatever you, what, what you're, uh, you know, and, and watch the film and watch how he made Kirk Cousins into a quarterback that won a playoff game, that mm-hmm. threw for a lot of yards, had a crazy good yards per attempt and high quarterback rating and made him, you know, a, a, a top 10 or even a, in some way statistically a top five quarterback. In the NFL, and you know whatever after you know that you know obviously this week, I mean he, Baker has a lot more, in my opinion, a lot more physical talent than Kirk Cousins. If he could learn the mental talent that Kirk Cousins has. From Kevin Stefanski, I truly believe the sky would be the limit.
2: So, just to give you the stat, and then we can circle back to the Forty ers and Vikings. Baker Mayfield last year with play action had a hundred and two point five quarterback rating. Without play action, sixty eight point eight. So, and I bet you they didn't you know, use it
3: enough. Yeah, I bet you right. the numbers aren't. You know, uh, and yeah, I I've I even looked at their stats, but I imagine no one's averaging eighteen yards per catch like Stephon Diggs. Like, listen, Stefan Diggs is a great player. But he averaged 10 yards a catch last year on 102 catches. Yeah. Uh, it's not the number of catches you have. Those are the nonsense numbers. Oh, he had a great game. He had six catches. Who cares? Like they lost by two touchdowns. It's the catches that matter. Yeah. Uh, and, the, and, and the third one the other day, when rather than run the football, the team says, we're going to throw it and they throw a slant to Stephon Diggs. Those, that eight or 10 yards or whatever that one, that, that, that mattered. Uh, more than some random two-minute, you know, catch on the first play that ends up being just a you know run out the clock or something like that, right? So uh, I, I love how uh, Kevin's done a great job with Stefanski, and and I imagine he'd do a good job with uh, Odell Beckham or whoever receivers are there. Well, let's stick
2: with Kevin Stefanski and Gary Kubiak here, and what they're facing in the San Francisco Forty Nineers defense. And what we did last week, Sage, was some conversation that I was uh, pegging as. The path to victory. So the path to victory, in my mind, and I wrote about this at scorenorth.com. It's in the center of our website. How the Vikings can run their way through the playoffs is the, uh, the, the headline to the article. And I think when you say everything starts with the run game, a lot of people's brains just go, like, I don't want to listen to this. This sounds like, you know, John Madden from 1991 or something like that. But in this case, everything in New Orleans did start with Delvin Cook. And before they were running the clock out, they were averaging about five and a half, six yards a carry with Delvin Cook with an incredibly creative offensive run attack lots of different formations, lots of different personnel, and now they face a defensive line that's a little bit banged up but also has a ton of talent on this D-line. And I think if you could slow down the rush even a little bit by running with Delvin Cook, you've got a good chance to move up and down the field against a 49ers defense that has looked a lot weaker lately than it did early in the season
3: to me stopping the run for both football teams that will end up creating the difference in the game and i say that is if one of the teams does that better than the other It'll create third and long situations, and then from that, something bad might happen to a, you know to Garoppolo or to Cousins. You know they they hold on the ball too long, uh, they get sacked, they fumble, they throw it to the other team. Uh, it's all about to me stopping the run. That sounds crazy, but in this ball game, these two teams, two of the best teams in the NFL at running the football. But if they can't do that, the Forty ers are the lightest, and the Vikings are the second lightest offensive line in the league, and they struggle in straight drop. Drop back pass protection. It's like Bradbury, the center. He's an excellent run blocker because he's quick. He can move, but he's a little bit smaller. That so he really struggles in one-on-one pass protection because he just doesn't have that big Bryant McKinney weight, uh, you know, to, to hold up against a really good pass rush. Both these teams have excellent pass rushers, defensive ends. They have premier Pro Bowl defensive ends uh they've got got good guys on the inside as well uh this game is going to be won and lost i think in in the trenches those are gonna be plays made down the field those things but both teams are going to really really want to run the football to keep their quarterbacks in third long situations.
2: it's like they just designed this matchup just for us like,
3: it uh, is. I'm right? telling you, that's why it's like my fourth <laughs> interview of the day because people are like, you know, I'm sure Sage knows a, a few things about that and a couple of uh, San Francisco radio stations and ser- some serious stuff. I mean, of all the games this weekend, this one is very, very interesting uh, uh, to, to break down because of so many similarities and differences and and the quarterbacks not being, you know, a premier, premier guys. Right? Um, it's also, by the way, it's nice to cover the playoffs and not talk about the Patriots when you look on the <laughs> the remaining teams and who plays who. Break down the Houston Texans and the Chiefs. My God, I don't have to break down some team going to New England uh in whatever bad weather to go against up the you know the thirteen and three Tom Brady led coming off a of by Patriots. That's nice to have this season. Yeah, and
2: also not talk about whatever tomfoolery they've got going on there with uh, videotaping or deflating footballs or whatever other nonsense. But this matchup, I you just go position by position and I think it is excellent if you love football. And I wonder who's more nervous about this type of matchup. I mean, is it both teams looking at it like this should be a great game and they've got a great, a lot of great players and we've got a lot of great players? Or if the pressure ends up being on San Francisco, because even a team like the Rams who runs uh, all these bootlegs and things like that, I watched the 49ers-Rams game back, and it was bootleg, 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 bootleg. And I think this is the opportunity for the Vikings to sort of bring that back after it was mostly eliminated for the last couple of games that Kirk Cousins has played. The Green Bay Packers kept him in the pocket, a lot of drop-back stuff, and even the Saints were able to do that as well, where there were not a lot of bootleg shots that he was able to take, but if they use a lot of the things that the Rams did, they could do that. So I wonder how nervous... And maybe you could tell me from being on San Francisco radio today. I wonder how nervous the 49ers are looking at the way that the Vikings played last week and what their strengths were in that game to beat the Saints.
3: I think both of these teams know that if they don't play really good to great football, either one of them could lose this game. I think they both think it's a really tight matchup. Uh, and I think they, you know, it's going to come down to a turnover or a big play or a couple third down conversions. Um, I mean, it might be a blowout. I'd be very, very surprised. I think this would be a very, very close fo- uh, football game. So it's the matchups are super interesting to me. Uh, you know, the, I, I, the one of the radio stations asked me uh, that said that the Vikings are number one in QB rating uh, against the tight end. Yes, and I said, yeah, yeah but they're mm-hmm. like, you know. 30th against the wide receivers on the outside right and and also the george kittle's not your average tight end that's right and george Kittle's not your average tight end but you know the vikings have been beat a lot of times on the outside well they play a lot of single high safety and a lot of times teams work the outside players because they have those sort of true one-on-ones and what you mean uh, you've either doubled the, the inside. Uh, you know, a lot of times teams use tight ends versus two high-safety looks, just based off of the leverages and how coverages work. A lot of times they have these little outbreaking routes and high-completion percentage and stuff, but the Vikings don't play a ton of that. But when they, when they do, uh, you know, Eric Kendricks is a tremendous cover guy, and obviously Barr uh, can run because he was a running back in college. So He's not your average, just slow linebacker, and, and uh, the safety is doing an excellent job covering tight ends as well. So uh, it's going to be a really – the the fact that the that the San Francisco 49ers won thirteen ball games, and they only gave up one hundred sixty nine yards passing in the NFL at first in the league. When you win a lot of games, you're ahead. Yeah. you're ahead at the end. You're right. ahead so by you ten points. To the yards, usually, you yeah. give up pass yards. You play a little bit softer. You don't want to give up. They they uh, even when they're winning uh, by two scores, they play extremely aggressive. They keep that edge there at all times. Uh, they they uh, you know the way the corners have played fantastic this year, but they've played really well because the pressure from the D line is so good as well. They mostly play single safety defenses, not a lot of cover two looks, which means it's hard to run against. Uh, but it also means those corners have to hold up. And Richard Sherman and the crew have done an excellent job this year uh, for their defense.
2: So. After the break, I want to talk about Garoppolo and Cousins and their similarities and differences. And also, Jeremy Fowler did a cool piece where he interviewed a bunch of executives and made predictions toward the future. And I want to get your thoughts on those things for 2020 because some very interesting stuff in there. But before we get to the break, tell me your ideal jersey matchup. We went over this yesterday with Boone and with Phil These two teams have incredible jersey potential to be going up against each other. I I saw that on Twitter. I mean, I I love the idea of San Francisco going with the old school red, but then the the gold pants as opposed to the white pants. And then the Vikings going just all white and maybe bringing back the old dark purple helmet. They're not going to do it, but I'd love to see it. What is, I what is when, the best
3: jersey matchup between these so two teams? So for me, and you know, I was born nineteen seventy eight. So I believe the Forty Nine ers won it in definitely in eighty nine. That was one of my earlier mem- mm-hmm. uh, memories of, of Super Bowls. It was the Cincinnati Bengals back of the end zone, John Taylor. That uniform outfit for the uh, um, for the Forty Nine ers to me is the best one. When they changed to the Steve Young uniforms with the shadow and yeah, was, was yeah, black yeah. in there with the white pants. That was a tragedy <laughs> in the NFL. So, for me, the greatest 49ers jerseys are those old school. Joe Montana. It's very, you know, very simple. Just basically white. Uh, there might have been some gold, obviously, uh, in in the uniform, but I thought those were the best ones. They were simple and, and they were great. To uh, the Vikings, I I, I like the all whites. I always like the ghosts. The ghosts go on the road. Mm-hmm. And we need some football games. I like it my uh, when Iowa State when we would wear all whites and when they do now. I always think uh, that looks good. So uh, I don't know what the cover uh, the color matchup is, but I'm, I think all uh, the, the new Vikings all whites. I think look pretty dang clean uh, going against those old school. 49ers that's what i would like to see uh, on my tv on saturday correct the games on saturday this week
2: yes so when the uh, 49ers won the super bowl against the Bengals, it was the red top and the gold pants but i i just searched john taylor to look at some different combinations and the white jersey for the 49ers with the gold pants like awesome actually and if they wore that i would not be mad i think the 49ers have the number one jersey in the nfl it's a good one i think it's the best well,
3: I think that might have to do something with sort of our age or something, you know, when we were coming up. Could be. They were one of those yep. teams that was great. You know, interesting when I was young. Because Jonathan
2: like, liked the, uh, he liked the shadows. Oh,
3: really? And it was probably because, yeah, yeah because they're, they're great, great sort of thing you, you like, <laughs> I think
2: you like things that you grew up with.
3: I think so, too, yeah. So I was going to say, like, you know, I was growing up and, and uh, you know, Clemson was not like in the picture of, like, I didn't care about them. I didn't know who I didn't even realize that they were really like a decent football school. I didn't know if they were a state school or a public school or where they were or what state they were and I knew nothing about them. Now the kids that are growing up now like my son who's eighteen, I mean Clemson obviously has been on their radar For most of their lives right and uh, they're a whole different brand and for me the 49ers were you know one of those brands the 49ers the Bears the Steelers the Cowboys uh, obviously Washington you know Washington's brand has fallen apart from one of the great franchises right yeah to now is like it's basically it might be the worst or or one of the worst uh uh, as far as the way people view them way their own fans view them so the 49ers are a classic football team and Probably for, for you and I, something has to do with uh, with our age and our generation.
2: Yeah, I, I definitely think that's right. Although you can make objective arguments about certain jersey changes that were not okay, like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, nobody would agree that that is presently a good jersey. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, <laughs> So let's, uh, let's take a break. We come back. Let's talk about these two quarterbacks through the eyes of a former Cubs quarterback, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo and Kirk Cousins. And then we'll also talk about uh, the NFL executives and what they think is going to happen in 2020. We will do that here on Purple Daily. You're listening to Score North.
5: Jonathan here with the Score North download, listen and win with the free Score North mobile app. This month, one lucky winner will win a $200 gift card to Topgolf with prizes also available for Amazon.com and more. Register your app, listen to your favorite Score North content, and you could be a winner. Kyle Rudolph talking to the media today after a big win on Sunday and heading into another massive playoff game on saturday against the 49ers talking about the short week and the challenge of coming down from that emotional high and the challenge of the short week
3: uh well i think being on a short week forces you to to mentally put it aside uh, i think the challenge has become getting fresh on a short week uh you know we played i think 79 snaps on offense and uh, battled down there to get a win and
4: now you know you short week and we got to get ready to go out to san francisco
5: Score North is all in for Vikings 49ers. Join Mackie and Judd for a special pregame show beginning Saturday at 1 p.m. leading up to kickoff, plus Vikings Vent Line taking your calls immediately after the game and a three-hour special aftermath show on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Watch the game anywhere. Talk about it here on Score North, scorenorth.com, and the free Score North mobile app. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you, Jonathan. Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels.
2: Back here on Purple Daily, um, Sage. How hard is it to travel? Just in just in the NFL in general. How well, the NBA, the it's really road?
3: hard to travel. It's like impossible in Why? the NBA. All
2: right. shut him off. Just just put his mic down. Just pop oh, it down. Oh. Boo. So you're like you're talking
3: about like getting on a bus, going to the airport, <laughs> not really going really through security, getting on an airplane, and flying.
2: No, I'm talking about the stress pl- of the matter. I mean, you're changing time zones. You just traveled to New Orleans, so back-to-back weeks. The exhaustion level after playing in the Superdome, I mean, what is that like to have to play in back-to-back games and, and how you get beaten down and then just a few days later you've got to get back on a plane and go do it again?
3: You know, you are correct. I mean, I do think, in particular on the short week, these Saturday games can be... Uh, you know, extremely tough. And, and uh, so it, it's, yeah, because yeah, you do have to travel home. That obviously takes some time, and then you usually don't get a very good night's sleep. Um, if it's a Sunday game, you don't sleep all that much. You get home at midnight or one, or sometimes, you know, I've gotten home from night games uh, when the sun's come up on uh, those Monday night or, or Sunday night games. And so, yeah, to be able to recover that, we all know, uh, it, as you know, we're, we're not 17, 18 anymore, especially the guys who are in their 30s. As you get older, it's hard to go on, on less sleep. And then, to, you know, you're obviously all beat up. You've had a really long season, no bye week. Uh, and then to prepare uh, on a short week, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. Luckily, the mental aspect of preparation this time of year, yes, you, you have your game plan, things like that, but you've been doing this thing now, for you know what since last you know A- april basically mm-hmm. or or whatever. So, uh, as far as the details and, and all those things, there's not as much probably studying that goes on. Um, you got your game plan, you got this, that, and the other, but you sort of are who you are. It's about studying the opponent uh, and, and obviously getting your rest. So, yeah, it's you'd rather play at home, not not just for the crowd noise, but you know, traveling does, can take it out. of you, in particular, when you do it on back-to-back weeks like the Vikings are this week,
2: yeah, and that's one of the biggest reasons that you haven't seen teams go from the six all the way to the zoo. Super Bowl very often, I think, is because of how grueling this second week is. I-, I looked at the last few years. A lot of six and five seeds won these games on the road. I think it was maybe four of the last six or whatever. In
3: the wild card round. Yeah, in the wild yeah. card round. You saw, it's, the sec- it's the next one.
2: Uh, it's the next one where they yeah. all get beat. And uh, the yeah. good example was, I think, Indianapolis last year. Where they won the first game and then they went on the road the next game and it was just they didn't show up whatsoever. It might have been in Kansas City, and it, I, I think that that's part of it is just it's really really difficult. And the other team has just been sitting there chilling.
3: Well, that's the thing. It's on top of it that you've traveled now twice. They travel zero times, right? And they got a full week of rest. Uh, they have a full week of game planning. Um, and, and almost next week, I'm sure they're sort of looking at both teams the previous week, doing some self scouting things and getting guys back from injury. So, yeah, there's a ton, a ton of advantages uh, to, you know, winning your division, being one of those. First or second seeds getting that bye uh, because, uh, yeah, a lot of times those five, six seeds, they do win the first round. In particular, like, uh, you know, what happened with Seattle. The better team had to go on the road uh, to Philly, and and both teams have no bye week, and then just basically win an away game. This is a totally different situation where it's double away games back-to-back. And and playing against a team who's you know one of the best teams in in, in this in this situation the best team in the NFC at their place and they're, they're coming off a bye this is a, a huge huge challenge and and rest is at a premium extra sleep is at a premium this week so you know families out there give the, give the guys a break this week let them come home and take a nap uh, they they need it because they're going to need everything they have on Saturday Sage do you like
2: watching Jimmy Garoppolo play quarterback
3: I do. Uh, you're, it's interesting. He has... If you look back in the traditional, like West Coast quarterback, or just quarterbacks in general, you see guys going back and hitching up and hitching up, and even like the Chad Paintons of the world, you know, really rhythmic hitching. Kirk has sort of a rhythmic hitching motion. Uh, Garoppolo does not do that. You know, in New England, they really didn't talk about timing all that much and hitches and, and this, that, and the other. It was sort of get back and be set to throw the football. And he'll get back sometimes and just stick his feet in the ground. And they just can just stand there, and then he can just unload it extremely quick. He probably has one of the quickest releases in the NFL. Uh, if you look at his throwing motion, uh, I, I like to when I when I talk to you know train quarterbacks and stuff, be, the, be, being able to throw from a phone booth in the sense of, like, you can't move forward. Uh, you can't hitch into it. You have to be right there. The, the, the offensive line's getting, they're getting some push up the middle. It's crashing down on you. His ability to throw without coming forward, uh, uh, you know, sort of like a baseball player uh, who stays on that back foot, stays on his right foot when he's swinging, his ability to do that with his quick throwing motion, he's pretty dang accurate. But sometimes he tries to do too much. Sometimes he he hangs on the football too long, and he definitely does get pressure. That's where this 49ers offense struggles is straight pass pressure, straight straight up pass protection, and he's dropping back. That's where they struggle because, again, they're, they're 295 pounds. They're the lightest offensive line in the NFL.
2: Interesting about uh, the numbers we talked about with Drew Brees last week, that if you try to blitz Drew Brees, you're just going to lose because he yeah. will diagnose it and he'll take care of it. And the Vikings didn't blitz him almost at all. It was a, a creativity with the front four that they got to Breeze
3: and that's how they slowed him down. The, the Vikings played that, a lot of sort of too high uh, coverages in that game. I think it protected their corners. That means their linebackers are going to have to do a, do a really good job Uh, on the tight ends and backs and they did that Uh, but it you know keeps the 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 team in front of them there are completions to be had there when you play that coverage Uh, but when guys like Anthony Barr do a really really good job uh, one-on-one the running backs or you know those, those times where he was matched up with Michael Thomas in the slot and yeah he'd give up the catch but it'd be a five or six yard completion that's much better than all those individual routes on the outside going against these Vikings cornerbacks who have struggled. So the Vikings did a really nice job protecting their corners last week. And they may have to do the same thing this week because these 49ers guys can really roll out there. This might be the fastest group of, of uh, special specialists uh, in the NFL amongst all their players.
2: So how about this? Garoppolo has seven interceptions when blitzed on 185 attempts, which is a horrendous ratio in 2019 that you usually don't see guys throwing seven picks in every 185 attempts in any scenario, but he also averages 8.4 yards per attempt. And so it's been feast or famine with Jimmy Garoppolo when you blitz him. So the Vikings will have to decide here. Do you want to send extra guys to go after him and hope that He throws a pick six like he did in week one of 2018, or do you want to play back and see if you could keep everything in front of you and see if you could pressure with four and make him go through those progressions and and things like that? I think that's going to be one of the things that Mike Zimmer has to consider this week, but I wouldn't be surprised, Sage, if Zimmer says, All right, last week we didn't blitz at all. This week, the house, everything that we could come up with, the zone blitzes that he adapted to, the mug looks and double A gap blitzes that. he used for so long i wouldn't be shocked if we see all of that come out on on saturday
3: yeah it's going to be interesting to see what his you know thoughts are you know he's not going to obviously tell the tell the media's press conferences yeah this week i'm going to be aggressive or this week i'm not i mean we'll have to see but they did a really nice job last week with drew breeze playing more and more coverage defense not not man to man and and bringing the house and bringing a lot of blitzes but he might do that with this again with this offensive line. They can show the pass protect. Uh, you know, they. If you look at those teams, remember those Giants teams and those Steelers teams uh, that did win the Super Bowl as six seeds, they did it with great D line play. Mm-hmm. Those yep. two Giants victories over the uh, uh, New England Patriots in '07 and '11 dominant defensive lines. The first one was Strahan uh, and and Justin Tuck, and then then Strahan retired, and it was Justin Tuck and those other guys, O.C. Umanura, uh, and uh, I'm trying to think of the other guys, Kiwanuka, Matthias Kiwanuka from Boston College. They had some guys, Dave Tollison who lives in Omaha, by the way, uh, they had some guys who could really rush the passer, and i got to think that uh, the Vikings this week, I like them playing more coverage. Uh, and and rushing the passer with their front four and trying to get pressure that way uh, because the way these wide receivers can run uh, for the 49ers, I would get very concerned with guys like Xavier Rhodes, who's you know been beat up for the last couple of years and got more beat up last week. Him having to chase and man coverage those receivers uh, that would be Matt, that would be advantage 49ers, and I got to think that Zimmer's going to try to protect his guys a little bit.
2: So I have some bad news that has just come across the Twitter. It's the Vikings injury report. So Stefan Diggs has not practiced either Tuesday or Wednesday. And uh, remember, this is Thursday. It will be the usual Friday because the game is on Saturday. Uh, so we'll figure out who's playing and who's not tomorrow. But Diggs hasn't practiced either day with an illness. And Adam Thielen showed up on the injury report today and was not on it yesterday, which insinuates that he was injured in practice yesterday or today. And he is listed as limited with an ankle injury.
3: This is bad, Zach.
2: This is this is not good to see. <laughs> well, we thought it was Diggs. terrible
3: last week when yeah, uh, when a couple true. corners went down against you know one of the best passes. This is a little different. This it is different, and uh, you know the Vikings need every one of these guys, and they're a different offense when Thielen's healthy. Obviously, Diggs has been their best receiver threat. You know, this season we've seen the offense, what happens when Dalvin Cook was out. Uh, but when all those pieces are there, I'd, I'd really say, you know, the six or seven pieces, those two running backs, uh, when the two tight ends are healthy, when the two receivers are healthy, in particular, sort of those six guys. I mean, this offense has some serious weapons and serious pieces for Kirk Cousins. When just one of those guys goes down, it just changes the dynamic of this offense. So really, really hope those guys get back to, to practice them tomorrow.
2: I think the thing that was never really brought up but was very true, lost in the NFC Championship, lost to Philadelphia, was how beat up the Vikings came out of their game against New Orleans in the Minneapolis Miracle game, that they had a bunch of different injuries. Anderson Deho had suffered a concussion the week before, and Adam Thielen had broken a bone in his back the week before, and he was ineffective in Philadelphia. And I'm just going to count out loud how many players are listed on the injury report today. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, players with some sort of ailment now some of them practiced linval joseph was limited with a knee injury he didn't practice on tuesday mackenzie alexander is out for the year jaron curse it appears won't play so if the vikings get any other injuries at the nickel corner position they won't have one essentially and now adam Thielen is banged up and this is exactly what we were just talking about sage that when you have to play that first week it's not just like Madden, where you play the game and then you're done, and then your guys go back to 100 percent health on the uh, on the the little you know meter or whatever on your video game.
3: So can I say this by the way? You know, I when I made the playoffs uh, in that Favre year, and then I, as I watched you know the Giants uh, a couple years after that and their run to the Super Bowl, um, and as you watch these playoff games, what I really really realized when I made the playoffs in my career. Was that those games, and with the addition of a, you know the sixteen game season and the preseason games and training camp, those playoff games are body bag games. I mean, they're a mm-hmm. bloodbath. Yeah. You see, guys playing because I mean, if you are making a couple million bucks a year, they're making like twenty, thirty thousand dollars in this game. Not that that's not any money, but they're not playing for the money. Uh, they're playing for, for for the to want to win a Super Bowl. Um, it's sort of like they're playing because they're they a competitor, uh, and you know, and, and they want to try to you know live out their dream of being a Super Bowl champion. So it is all on the line. And you see guys going to the locker room, coming back out ten minutes later. They're mm-hmm. going in there get a shot. Now they don't have to do that. They can just do it around the sideline in the tent. Uh, these games, you'll see this week a lot of guys. There'll be a lot of you know uh, injury timeouts this game, and you see it. T- Time and time again, the playoffs, and I feel like you see it more this round and those championship games. It is like guys are patched together going out because you know you got two weeks uh, just in case you do win to get to the Super Bowl. So everyone, you know, puts it on the line out there, and guys play injured and guys re-injure things. Uh, you'll see that Eric Sugarman and his train staff on the field. Uh, uh, hopefully, not at all, but I, I bet you we see those guys on the field a few times this week.
2: Yeah, and the intensity level of that game. All playoff games, I'm sure, but especially Saints and Vikings. What a physical team the Saints are. It was serious. And I had the thought after the game, wow, it's going to be tough to have a quick turnaround here. Let me run down a couple of these things because it's a great article by uh, Jeremy Fowler making predictions for 2020. Uh, He interviews a bunch of executives and they go through kind of some of their predictions and and what they think. And uh, some of them are really interesting, including Tom Brady. Coming back to New England is the prediction that they'll try to, you know, woo other players there to build around Tom Brady again after having a pretty bad roster. But isn't it fun, Sage, to talk about Brady playing for the Chargers or the Raiders or, or even I mean who knows like Tampa Bay was brought up by Mike Greenberg on the station yesterday. This has happened so many times with all-time great players where they play one or two years at the end of their career with somebody else and I think it's one of the fascinating storylines that's already getting ramped up now that Brady has said that he's going to come back.
3: It is interesting when you go down the line long list of quarterbacks who, you know, are in the Hall of Fame. A lot of those guys entered their career somebody else. Obviously Joe Montana, he's probably the most famous one, but uh I I believe Broadway Joe, didn't he end up with like the LA Rams or he did, something? Yeah. So there's a lot of guys who ended up somewhere else. Peyton Manning being the most recent no-brain Hall of Famer, you know Brett Favre, same thing. He ended up going two other places at the end of his career. Uh, You know it could happen. Uh, I got asked by Greg Bedard, who's a writer for uh, in Boston, wrote for Sports Illustrated for a long time. They were he's covering obviously the the, sort of the Brady watch up there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And how would he do in a West Coast offense under John Gruden with the uh, Las Vegas Raiders uh, next year? And I, you know, your answer sort of is. Like well, it depends on John Gruden, really, because if you look like what Gary Kubiak did, he said, "Okay, we got Peyton Manning. We basically are going to have the Gary Kubiak run game, but we're going to have the Peyton Manning passing game." And that offense evolved very quickly into shotgun. I mean, they they, they they're doing a lot of the pistol stuff. If they were going to do some sort of play action, but they were not under center. It was really a Peyton Manning decipher the defense audible. You know, type of offense, and uh, and and of course he throws 55 touchdown passes. And then it all goes to to crap, and he physically can't do it anymore. But they won because of their defense and running game, and that's where Peyton won that Super Bowl. So you know, Tom has still. You know, throwing talent left. His mental capacity for football is outstanding. So, if he would go to a place uh, like the Oakland Raiders, let's let's just say, uh, it would have to use all of that to his advantage. Uh, And then that you have to have a ton of weapons around him. So, it would be Gruden saying, you know, this isn't the John Gruden offense and blah, blah, blah. This is really the Tom Brady offense. How do I take advantage of all the good things Tom Brady does? So, I can't say he won't be successful. Farvis is successful. Peyton Manning was successful when they changed offenses i think tom could uh but you have to have the right pieces around them brady was
2: still a top 10 quarterback graded by pff but his numbers were way down and i think that tells you the disparity between how he was playing and how everyone else around him was playing that he did not get a whole lot of help and that was why they were so desperate to sign antonio brown and of course had to quickly move on from antonio brown after a bunch of things well, and came they also
3: they also had uh, the the kid from that went to Seattle afterwards. The wide receiver Gordon, Josh Gordon, yeah, Josh Gordon. And he got so, suspended I mean, as well. And he, he got suspended. All sort of fell apart from that, uh, you know, aspect. And they didn't have a running game. You know, that's the thing when you have an old quarterback like that. You know, the the easiest thing for a quarterback to do uh, is is to hand the ball off it 's the easiest and best thing if you would say Sage, we 're going to start you uh, this week, and you know there's a chance you may never have to throw a pass i 'd be like, Where can I sign up for that? <laughs> you know that would be absolutely great. Who cares about the numbers? I want to want to win the football game, and so if you can run the football and the Patriots were, were not very good at that this year, uh, you can win a lot of football games with an, with, a, with, a, with a, an older quarterback who then can sort of not just manage it but really sort of get you in the best possible plays, get you in the best runs, get you in the best passes you know, get the ball out on those blitzes they can they have they have seen so many looks they can diagnose things faster but then you got to put them in the right offense uh, so they can use that knowledge to their advantage
2: question for you do you have a journeyman quarterback of the week for the 49ers
3: uh, I haven't even looked. I sort of forgot about that. Forty um, ers I know
2: you were grinding tape all week. I was That's grinding why tape. Yeah,
3: I'm telling, well, I've been training these quarterbacks out in Colorado, which is which was, was a lot of fun for me. Uh, Brian Lewerke, who's a Michigan State quarterback, and this kid Anthony Gordon, who was a Washington State quarterback. How about this? This kid throws nine touchdown passes against UCLA, the, UCLA this year, and they lost the game. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
0: right?
3: I, I watched that one. I it was yeah, like sixty-five. It was 62. insane. Yeah, so it was a lot of fun working with those guys. They're not going to be, you know, first round draft picks, and, and we'll see where they go. Gordon's a small, he's only about 195, 200 pounds. He's got a super quick release, and he's really accurate. And Lawerke, he's an interesting prospect. He's, he's very, very athletic. He ran a four six one forty last spring, and he was the fastest guy on the offense at Michigan oh, State last wow. year. That's the type of talent uh, he had around him, and, and one of the reasons they weren't as successful. So he's got a really strong arm, he's a good athlete both great kids. that that was a great experience and so yeah the quarterbacks everyone um, uh, everyone loves talking quarterbacks you're
2: training the uh, world's future journeyman well i have one and mine is tim Rattay. and yes uh, tim tim Rittay played for the 49ers he had this brief couple of games where people thought he could be really great and then the 49ers fell apart they he went one and eight as a starter and then he signed with Tampa Bay signed with Arizona and uh, what's great about tim Rattay though cuz we always need at least four teams right so he played a little bit with the Titans, but got cut. But he also played for the Las Vegas Locomotives of the UFL. And then he quit to retire to be a coach for the Las Vegas Locomotives before the league folded. So Interesting. Th- yeah, that's, I mean, that's classic right there. And guess who his, uh, his coach was for the Las Vegas Locomotives was Jim Fossil.
3: Oh, just there you go. Just, just signed a somewhere. special teams yeah, coordinator, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. Special teams coordinator. I, I do have one for you. I met this guy one time at the Del Mar racetrack training before, uh, I believe, the two thousand like 10, 11 season, something like that, out there in, in California by San Diego. JT O'Sullivan. Oh, man, yeah. JT O'Sullivan. This yes. list is amazing. And, yes. you know, he is not a guy that we've really added to the uh, the sort of the Mount Rushmore of Journey oh, with my quarterbacks. God. He's
2: played for everyone, every team.
3: Saints 2002 to 04, the Frankfurt Galaxy 04, the Green Bay Packers 04, Chicago Bears 05, Minnesota Vikings 05, the Patriots 06, <laughs> so Carolina great. Panthers 06, I'm not even halfway done. I know. Frankfurt so Galaxy 07, great. Chicago Bears 07, Detroit Lions 07, San Francisco 49ers 08, Bengals 09, <laughs> Chargers 2010, Raiders 2010, Saskatchewan Roughriders 2012 and retired.
2: I would like to point out that your guy, J.T. O'Sullivan, was the co-offensive MVP of NFL Europe in 2007.
3: Unbelievable. (laughs) That guy had, I mean, that is the (laughs) journeys of all journeys. You know, three teams in one season. He's got multiple seasons. I think three seasons in a row he was on two different teams. Uh, Absolutely incredible. Incredible careers. How about,
2: now we always have a thing that you have to have a second stint. Now he has second a second stint with an NFL Europe team.
3: Oh, yeah! <laughs> there you go. That's so classic. Does he have yeah. any other? I'm trying to think. I'm, I'm trying to look at this list. Looks like a lot of ones and duns. Uh, yeah. Uh, but he yeah, was a yeah. heck. He People was didn't
2: keep he, JTO solvent. And the best part he, is that he started eight games ever, yeah. like in his whole career. He played for so, all those teams and started eight games.
3: What's interesting? Yeah, nine touchdowns and thirteen picks, a sixty-nine point nine QB rating. He had he was sort of like a Case Keenum in a way, where he was a bit of a didn't have a big arm. He was a good athlete, but was a gunslinger. I mean, he I, when I watched him play in preseason games, man, he was running around out there with no fear, a bit of a gunslinger, and he, and he had a nice arm. He was a really good athlete and and uh, and, and you know, uh, unbelievable for him to from UC Davis as a six round draft pick to have that long NFL career, uh, congrats and, and uh, a great journeyman quarterback. And
2: uh, JT O'Sullivan runs a YouTube channel called The QB School, so how about that? Um, <laughs> we'll
3: have to check that out. So Maybe we'll uh, get him on the show sometime. I would love that. That's, we, a, that'd be a, that's a good off-season interview. We, we'll we, talk about the Frankfurt Galaxy.
2: Yes, we definitely need more journeymen. We had, what, Jay Fiedler? That was great. Um, had Gus
3: Verratt yes on so, the show. Yeah.
2: Before you go, though, because we got a minute left here before the break. Who will win this football game?
3: Don't do this to me. Um, You know, the the, the reasons I'm not going to say the Vikings um, is because of those things we talked about. I mean, there's 12 injuries on the injury report. Obviously, I would assume a lot of those guys, if not all of them, play. But to not have that violent last week, to go on the road, get a huge win, and then have to go on a about a four-hour flight, three-and-a-half-hour flight from Minneapolis yeah. to there and, and to play on a short week on a Saturday against a really, really good football team, that is uh, going to be a real battle to to overcome all of that. The 49ers sort of have every advantage uh, that they, you can possibly have in this situation. Uh, obviously, they were supposedly the better team throughout the year because they won 13 games. The Vikings won 10 the regular season, so they sort of have everything going for them. It doesn't. I don't think the. It's impossible for the Vikings to win. I think it's going to be a heck of a ball game. But you know, all those sort of uh, advantages that are just sort of checked off. Home game, bye week. You know, not as many guys injured. All those types of things. The 49ers have a lot of advantages in the game. I, I got to think they're going to win this football game. But I guess. We shall, we shall see uh, by Saturday night.
2: Yeah, I think it's a fair assessment when you have so many positions that are equal with these two teams, and then there is the big advantage of getting two weeks to prepare. Um, it's it's hard to pick against them, but I also am with you, and I'll I'll give my official prediction on uh, on Friday about what I think is is going to happen here. But I, I
3: don't think it'll be a high scoring game. I I can see this being a you know, seventeen thirteen or, or something with some field goals. Uh, you know, these teams are, are are very very good, and and uh, you know, so it should be should be some interesting football. As a fan, I think if you watch these two offenses. Uh, You'll see a lot of similarities, but you'll see a little probably just sort of more stuff going on Mm -hmm. uh, uh, with with that 49ers offense, motions to bunch and fake jet sweeps and and sort of trick play type stuff. Uh, They do more counter scheme. They do a lot more counter scheme where where guys are blocking down and guards or tackles are pulling. Uh, They call those gap schemes. Um, You'll see definitely more of that with the 49ers than you you will see uh, with the Minnesota Vikings. Well,
2: I can't wait to... break it down with you next monday sage so we will get together again then so thank you for your time sir
3: hopefully we break it down and we're looking forward to the nfc championship game we're talking about green bay or or at seattle i guess and i think both of those places the vikings could win so if they get through this week uh, i think they have a real shot at the super bowl
2: yep yep i agree i mean it could get real interesting after this all right sage we'll talk to you on monday and uh, we'll take a quick break we'll come right back and talk with bobby peters who is in the process of writing an article about the san Francisco. i'm sorry a book a whole book about the san francisco 49ers offense this year He's written books in the past that I have and that are awesome and I've learned so much from. So Bobby is going to come on and talk about what is unique about this 49ers offense and how the Vikings can stop it. When we return, uh, Bobby Peters will be our guest on Purple Daily.
1: TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand.
4: It's Purple Daily. George's phenomenal. I mean he's playing as good as anybody at our position, had an incredible year,
3: and it's fun to watch those guys because obviously our offenses are very similar. Um, so they, they got him doing a lot of cool stuff out there and he'll be a good challenge for us. Well, I, I think he's uh, deceptively fast. You know, people don't realize how fast he is. He was a low four or five guy and you know you can see that in his route running. He he's he's moving.
2: Kyle Rudolph there, Matthew Collar back here on Purple Daily, and now a consistent guest of the show that uh, if you listen all the time, you know him well, Bobby Peters, who has written now a number of books on NFL offenses. It started with the Philadelphia Eagles third down book and then it went on to the Chicago Bears offense. And uh, now it is the San Francisco 49ers offense, Bobby, that you are writing a new book about. So I want you to start right out by telling me how awesome is this offense? Everyone keeps talking about how brilliant Kyle Shanahan is. You watch every play, you chart every play, and you do numbers on every play. And also you coach football. So presumably you steal all of Kyle Shanahan's plays. Is it everything it's cracked up to be?
1: Um, in, in one word, yes, it really is. They do, they do so many different things well, both in the run game, pass game, play action game, screen game. I mean, it's just, it's just a very complete offense.
2: Now, Jimmy Garoppolo goes from New England to San Francisco. He wins his first five games. We decide he's one of the great quarterbacks in history, of course. And then in 2018, he ends up getting hurt. So he comes back this year with a ton of expectations on him and lives up to those expectations with really good numbers and with 13 wins, four fourth-quarter comebacks. But how much is Jimmy Garoppolo? How much is Kyle Shanahan? Because I tend to think, Bobby, when it's the uh, play caller more than the quarterback then defenses can ultimately get to that quarterback um that there's only so much you can scheme uh, but how do you separate those two
1: it is difficult to separate those two um i i would say he he's both he's 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 good on his own and he's also a product of Kyle Shanahan scheming guys open for him um i think you know especially early on in games you know once they get that play action going um you can really see the the side where Kyle shanahan kind of helps him out a lot but then, I mean, they've had a couple of games this year where, you know, in the fourth quarter they need game-winning drives, and they've got a drop-back pass, and he's not, you know, helped out by just, you know, Kyle scheming like his first guy open all the time. He's got to go through progressions with, with defenses, know he's, knows he's throwing and bringing pressure down his face. I mean, um, you know, there were there were games where they were converted, I think two or three third and 15 pluses with him just hanging in the pocket, you know, climbing the pocket and finding a guy downfield for the first down. And, you know, that. Well, the the scheme is sound. You know, it takes a solid quarterback to do that kind of thing that I would say probably most quarterbacks in the NFL can't
2: do. Is there something that you see when you watch Garoppolo where you say, okay, that's it though. That's that's the way to get to him. That's the weakness because we know that if you have one, Mike Zimmer is going to find it. And I tend to think after not blitzing it all last week that Mike Zimmer is going to go back into his tape and figure out every blitz that has ever worked against Jimmy Garoppolo and try to attack him that way
1: yeah i mean um with when, when, with regard to blitzes, I think a lot of it comes down to protection schemes and if you can get a guy free and Kyle Shanahan uses so many different protections you know off of play action and within his dropback it's hard to it's hard to kind of game plan blitzes against a guy like Kyle Shanahan for that reason um you know, the, not, not necessarily specific to Jimmy Garoppolo, but some, a way that you could put him in, in tough situations if you're the Vikings is finding a way to stop the run early in the game and getting Kyle Shannon to abandon the run, which he has done a, uh, on a couple of occasions throughout the season. Because um, without, without a strong running game, any quarterback, you know, they, it makes their job more difficult.
2: Talking with author and football coach Bobby Peters, uh, in the process of writing a book on the San Francisco 49ers offense. And if you want to learn about football and offenses, check out the Eagles third down manual and the complete uh, look at the Chicago Bears offense from last year, not this year where they were no good, Bobby. But we could talk about that another time. Um, These three running backs, so fascinating. I mean, 19 touchdowns between them. All three have somewhere between 500 and 800 yards. It's amazing how they just rotate them in and they throw passes to them, and it seems like they're interchangeable. What has made it work so well with this rotation of running backs that the 49ers use?
1: I mean, it's it's very Belichick esque, right? Like he, you know, it reminds us of those days where the Patriots. I mean, you didn't know from week to week which guy was going to get a majority of the touches. you know, like you said, they all they all are pretty interchangeable. They can, they can all run any of their base run schemes, any of their auxiliary runs, and as well as any, you know, they're all pretty solid in pass protection too and running routes out of the backfield. So, um, you know, it, Kyle's able to keep them fresh and keep them going so that, you know, come third, fourth quarter, you know, or even overtime, it's been a lot of cases for them this year. You know, they've needed fresh running backs, fresh legs in those cases, and they've had them.
2: So – Everyone is talking about George Kittle, too, Bobby, and watching closely, it's got to be extremely impressive to watch George Kittle, all of his games through 85 receptions over a thousand yards. These are numbers that usually you see from a wide receiver, but he's also a great blocker, too. And I guess it's the same question with Jimmy Garoppolo as it is with George Kittle. Is he being just schemed to get this many yards, this many catches? And can he be taken away? Because the Vikings did an incredible job against the New Orleans Saints of taking away Michael Thomas, something that almost nobody has been able to do. He ends with seven catches for 70 yards and was, just in general, not that big of a factor throughout the game. How can anyone shut down George
1: Kittle? Um, You know, it certainly certainly can be done. Um, For my money, he right now is the best weapon in the NFL. Um, Like you said, run game and pass game, he is just an absolute monster. You know, if you're a defensive coordinator, and this is kind of what Mike Zimmer is going to be faced with this week in game planning is, you know, I'm sure it'll be situational, you know, based on part of the field and down a distance. But, you know, do you put the smaller defender out there that can play, that can match up with him in man coverage, um and carry him down the field or do you put the bigger linebacker or, 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 or I'm or I'm sorry yeah I put the bigger linebacker out there that can you know help help out in the run game and not just get mauled but um you know I think either way you know based on personnel Kyle Shanahan once he sees what you're in he can you know he and how you're going to defend him he can kind of go off that and George Kittle can can do either very well yeah there's, um, there's... as far as stop-
2: Sorry, there's a lot of different ways it seems like teams have tried to slow down George Kittle and none of them work, but does putting one guy on him make sense? Like if you said, Harrison Smith, this is what you're doing today. You are tracking George Kittle. That's something Zimmer does not do with safeties and linebackers very often, but you almost never have to do it. Uh, That would be bold, but also a type of adjustment I wouldn't be surprised to see Zimmer make after uh, what he did with the defensive line last week.
1: Yeah, I mean, coming from different leverages, you know, depending on what, what the 49ers call that, that could be effective. But if you're going to, if you're going to play man to man, especially on passing downs against the 49ers offense, I mean, you're, it's, you're, you're better off double teaming him. Um, but with that said, you know, if you're double teaming George Kittle, well, now you're taking a robber or a safety, you know, out from helping anybody else and there's one on one matchups all across the field. So you almost have to pick your poison. And a lot of that, a lot of that, um, you know, for NFL defensive coordinators will be formation based. You know, if, if George Kittle is, is, you know, tighter to the formation, it's easier to double him, but a lot of times Kyle Shanahan will flex him out too, out wide, and it's a lot harder, especially to disguise the double teams in that case. Um, another another way too, you can kind of bracket him. You can create quasi-brackets with zone coverage too. You can kind of tell guys, hey, you know, play heavier heavier uh, towards Kittle in your zone, when he's in your zone.
2: Talking with Bobby Peters, an author. I'm just going to call you an offensive analyst. Do you like that? Um yeah. That will work for you. 2018 Chicago Bears manual, third down manual of the Eagles. Very good stuff uh, that you should check out. And as you're analyzing uh, what the 49ers did this year to write a new book, um, how much did you were you the emoji that has the little heart eyes with the fullback? Because I I mean this matchup being the two teams that have the fullbacks that are used the most in C.J. Ham and Kyle Uzcheck. You just love to see it. You, like No one could possibly be mad about this, seeing two fullbacks that are so great. But Juszczyk is just in a different type of stratosphere of how fullbacks have ever been used. He can line up as a wide receiver. He could go down the field if you want him to. And there were a few times when the Vikings played the 49ers, Bobby, where it was problematic for them uh, with Kyle Juszczyk that he was able to create some big plays. So how are they going to use Kyle Juszczyk Am I right uh, when they go up against the uh, Vikings? No? I didn't even get an eye roll from Jonathan on that one. How are they going to use the fullback?
1: <laughs> well, let's start off with, during the process of writing the book, I have a Post-it note next to my computer with Kyle Juszczyk's name spelled out because I have, there's <laughs> no way I would ever remember how to spell it every, every time I got to look at it. Um, but Okay, so he, he is very similar to George Kittle, in the sense that he's he's the ultimate chess piece, right? You you know, are you going to treat him as as a as an inline run blocker, or are you going to treat him as a guy who can win matchups against linebackers? And you know, that's part of the reason that the 49ers have so much success is they have not one but two guys that can do that. Um, and then with, he's not obviously he's not as used as much as George Kittle is in the pass game, but in the run game, I mean, they use him on every different type of block. They run so many different run schemes within their offense that that his ability to kind of create an extra gap for the offense in that sense is just it's hard to stop if you're a defense because you don't know what's coming.
2: Yeah, being able to throw to the guy and and also have him be effective in run blocking is just an extra weapon that both of these teams like to use and every once in a while you'll see CJ Ham get a screen pass for 32 yards in the same way that uh that Kyle Usechek will. So who do you like in this one, Bobby? I mean, do you do you give the Vikings defense after what they did against New Orleans a good shot to slow down this Kyle Shanahan offense? You think it's going to be really tough? Uh how are you seeing this playing out?
1: I mean, I I, I, I'd probably lean more towards the 49ers, but with that said, you know if Mike Zimmer comes up with a, a, a strong game plan to stop the run and, and force the 49ers to pass early on, I, I could see it being a close game. Um, one thing that that kind of slowed the 49ers' offense down in general during the season was teams that like to kind of load the line of scrimmage, right? Like play a play a bare front where they got five guys on the line, or play what's called a a tilt 4-3 where they've got the Sam and the Will walked up on the line of scrimmage to kind of create a six-man front. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's a good way to, to stop the outside zone scheme in theory. Um, so, like, like I said, the 49ers have a lot of other runs they get to. But, you know, similar to the Vikings, their offense starts and ends with the outside zone scheme. So if Mike Zimmer's able to kind of slow some of that stuff down and make them play left-handed, well, you know, they, they got they got a chance.
2: So when this comes out, Bobby, no matter what happens on Saturday, we'll have you back on the show to talk about your 49ers book. And if you want to check out the Chicago Bears offensive manual, even though it's the Bears, and I'm sure Vikings fans find them to be annoying, it's worth reading because you can learn so much about football and also the Eagles third down manual as well from 2017. Awesome stuff as always, Bobby. And I I see that you are blogging now. Is that true?
1: Well, I've had I've had that blog for a while, but I was trying to find a website that would uh, carry it. But I posted a a very thorough piece on kind of what happened to the the Chicago Bears offense this year. I called it the final autopsy, um, and <laughs> I, I went very deep into the data, very deep into the film, kind of similar to what I did to write you know write the books that I do, but all without writing the book and just kind of just putting the cliff notes into a blog, just kind of the big picture stuff and. Um, you know, you know just, just for me, you know, as someone who studied the offense last year, the Bears offense, and, and saw how successful it was at, at, at compensating for a struggling quarterback, you know, what happened this year that, you know, they, they essentially bottomed out to 29th in the league in efficiency.
2: Uh, so you can check that out. It's on your Twitter. You posted it. It's B underscore Peters 12. B underscore Peters 12. So go check that out. Uh, also, it's very cool. I, I read that article already. It was really good. So, Bobby, thanks for coming on the show. Always great to have you, man.
1: Thanks for having me. Yep, for sure. Bobby
2: Peters, one of my favorite guys. Uh, we had deep dish pizza in Chicago and talked about his book when uh, I was in Chicago last year. Really, really smart guy. Coaches high school football, writes these books. So make sure you check out his work. All right. Now it's time for some mystery sound. Uh, Jonathan put together what he thought was good or important from the sound and has not told me what that is. So you're going to play it mm-hmm. and then I'm going to talk about it. But I just wanted to bring up real quick for People who are just getting in their cars and heading back home. Adam Phelan, limited in practice today with an ankle injury. Stefan Diggs, two straight days of not practicing with illness. And my analysis is, eh. Yikes. I, Once again, we're here at the yikes. Yeah, that's about the best I can do for you. I mean, they're going to play. I'm certain of that. But Phelan getting hurt in practice this week, not... Great. All right, mystery sound. Play something, and I'll talk about well, it. Well, let's have some NFL films music too. With sure. Me. Yeah, it's your segment. Do whatever you want.
5: All right. Here we go.
1: Yeah, I love having a fullback in front of me. Um, it's just the type of style of football I like to play, and I think it kind of be underestimated, you know, because I'm a smaller back, I guess. But you know, I love having a fullback in front of me, and you know, getting the job done and going downhill and playing physical football.
2: Uh, you know the brand of the show, Delvin Cook there, talking about working with C.J. Ham and the importance of a fullback. I wrote today at our website, scorenorth.com, about how the Vikings can run through the playoffs, and C.J. Ham is a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. Really creative and interesting, the running game that the Vikings come up with. It is fun to watch on tape because they never use the same play twice, and, and sometimes they'll do a different blocking scheme that looks exactly the same, or they'll do a, a look that... You say, oh, they ran out of this before, and then someone goes in motion at the very last second, and they have what they call a jet motion, so they'll fake a handoff to Stephon Diggs, which is probably why they do the reverses. I don't like them... And I wish they had somebody who was good at running with the football. If Cordero Patterson was here, you could use Cordero Patterson to give him those jet sweeps. But the fake jet sweep forces the other team to pay attention to it, which often opens up some holes. And uh, C.J. Ham at times is, is part of this, not necessarily the, the jet sweeps, but the creativity in the run game. It will be massive going up against the 49ers.
3: Speaking of C.J. Ham. When Dalvin's healthy, he's a, he's a special player. And you know for him to get the rest that he had and be able to come back 100% like that and play, play that well, um, it's good to see. Definitely good for us. So I
2: didn't want to talk about future stuff this week, really at mm-hmm. all. Aside from, hey, this is big for Kirk Cousins, Zimmer, I think, already accomplished what he needed to accomplish in this year to win a playoff game and to have that moment. Um, but the delvin Cook contract extension... If you were for it, then you've got a really great case after the other day against New Orleans. It's not too often where we can talk about a team that has to have their running back playing like that to win. But the Vikings are that team who needs Delvin Cook to be shredding tackles. And when I went back and watched the game on tape, it's remarkable the number of times where he could get three and instead he gets seven. Or he could get minus one and instead he gets four. It was 65 out of his 94 rushing yards came after contact the other day. That's a big deal. His ability to break tackles and then juke and then the vision and all those things, they're all at an exceptional level. And the thing that's... Okay, paying running backs, things talk about all the time is, well, you could replace him with another guy. And that is true, but I don't think it's always that easy when it comes to the upper echelon. And a lot of the upper echelon guys have had a decent second contract. Not all of them, but some of them, including Adrian Peterson, would be a good example of a guy who was upper echelon and overall in his second contract was pretty good. So I just want to make those points about uh, Delvin Cook. And if he goes for another 100 yards and his break of tackles all over the place and checkdowns are going for 30 yards, I mean, he's going to have a contract waiting in his locker when they get back. If he does so, that, then it's for sure Vikings win, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. If he dominates, they win. Next
1: one. Uh, You get right back to work. You know, we were in yesterday watching tape, uh, talking about the plan, and then today again, and just get into your routine. You know, just got done with with a workout, and so um, uh, you just get right back into it like we do weeks one through 17.
2: I can't stop thinking about what James Harrison said (laughs) on Colin Cowherd. It's ridiculous. in, In a good way, in a bad way. In part, I agree, and in part, I don't. I don't agree that Kirk Cousins got lucky. I don't agree that his celebration indicated that he's never been there before. I mean, I don't care how many years you've been in the league. You're going to celebrate a win in the playoffs on the road Mm -hmm. at the Superdome. I mean, that's... Especially if it's the final play of the game. It's a preposterous criticism. But the first part of it with Kirk Cousins, hey, you did it once. And it took you since 2015 to do it once. And it was kind of Delvin who set up that game. Not that Kirk played poorly. He played really well overall. But it was your running back who kind of dominated. And and there's some reason to be skeptical as if, was that just a one-time thing? Or is this going to be something he does all the time? If you're going to be an upper echelon, truly top five to seven to eight quarterback that can win a Super Bowl every year, then you have to do it multiple times. It can't just be... Once It can't just be one game where, yeah, you get to live at the top for a week and then disappear the next week. And this week, because of how banged up everybody is, Cousins will have to be better in my mind. And I'm going to run this theory by Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus in about nine minutes. But that's my theory, is that Cousins will have to play even better than he did uh, last week because your offensive line has got to be banged up after that you know, brutal playoff game on the road. Their defensive
5: line is going to be 100% fresh. And it as good as makes Cook a is, difference. you can't expect him to do that two weeks in a row against two very good defenses. Exactly. So what's your next one?
4: I I think the one thing with Anthony you always say is his consistency. I mean, he came in every day to get better. There were opportunities that he had during the course early in his career where he had to step in and start. I mean, I think there was one year, I think it was eight games, one year, six games. And uh, every time his number was called, he's able to step to occasion and and did a nice job. He
2: was talking about Anthony Harris Mm -hmm. in a question that I asked George Edwards, and this is another guy that I want to talk with Eric Eager about. Er Anthony Harris has just become one of the best stories on this team and has always been part of my argument for why we shouldn't be discussing moving on from Mike Zimmer. Because the biggest criticism I would ever have of a head coach who I thought was failing would be that they couldn't develop players. So part of it is always going to be the quarterback. All right, you know, your quarterback's going to determine whether you have 11 wins or 8 wins a lot of times. Your quarterback is going to determine if you win the playoffs a lot of times. But if you can consistently take guys who were not drafted, late round draft picks, and and spot them and then develop them into key starters on defense or as weapons or on the offensive line, then I think you're doing a good job of of coaching. And too often we look at coaching and go, oh, I disagree with that play call. Or they lost that one game, so I'm mad at the coach. Or he called a timeout when I didn't think he should call a timeout. And I'm guilty of all of those criticisms for certain coaches, including Mike Zimmer at times. But there's also this whole other thing that is real and actual coaching. And I always used to get a little annoyed with the Jeff Fisher criticism. Oh, he's seven and nine all the time. He's seven and nine all the time. Yeah. Okay. I mean, most of that was the quarterback. A lot, a lot of the time he had Keenum out there. He had a rookie Jared Goff out there, you know, so a lot of seven and nines with a lot of tricky quarterback situations. But when he was with the Titans, They would just have players and players and players and players who became really good around there, aside from Steve McNair, who should be a Hall of Famer in my mind. But after that, I mean, you're Billy Volex and Kerry Collins and stuff. And yet they would still have good rosters year after year. I look at that as the key part of coaching, and then how your quarterback plays really determines the rest. You got one more? One more.
0: I think each week we talk about every one of our players and how we can involve them and i know earlier in the season and we talked about this it's a pendulum sometimes it swings one way or the other and the opportunities didn't come early but every week we go in with a player of his caliber that we're looking for ways that he can impact the game and uh, obviously proud of how he played in that ball game and certainly the last play but there were a bunch of plays prior to that where he's uh he's doing a, a great job and he's a big part of any success that we're having he's typically somewhere uh in that success, whether it be run or pass.
2: I'm going to say he's talking about Kyle Rudolph. You would be correct. However, who else could he be talking about? I mean, he could be talking about, I mean, the ball boy. Like <laughs> He's always part of something. He's always out there, and he's doing a great job, and he's definitely out there, and he's trying, and he exists. Uh, Kevin Stefanski, I would say, that the only knock on him would be just if he goes to Cleveland, that they'll have, is he will not answer a lot of your questions. No. Now, one-on-one, to help out with profiles on players and stuff like that, uh, I've had some really great conversations with Kevin, and I, he comes across as smart as everybody says he is. But at the podium, in front of the TV cameras, that's, that's kind of what you're going to get Cleveland if he ends up there. Um, but Kyle Rudolph, man, this show right here. Throw it to Kyle. Do you think Stefanski ends up in Cleveland, or do you think they go somewhere else? Do you think he listened and was like, yeah, they should throw it to Kyle? And then he decided at the end of the game, (laughs) they should throw it to Kyle. Matt's right. Purple Daily's right. Throw it to Kyle. Yeah.
5: I mean, you've been right before. Yeah. Always. Um,
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what's the? we like to do, hey, what were we wrong about? And there is certainly a list of that. But, like... The rightest ever. Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson are Mm -hmm. the rightest ever. Are tied for my number one. Boom, boom, boom. The rightest ever. I think you get to put those on a plaque and just have it in your office. Exactly. The, you would have drafted these guys and now they're the best quarterbacks in the league. Congratulations. And then, I think throw it to Kyle is like right up there. (laughs) Throw it to Kyle. It's just perfectly timed too. Yeah, it worked. I know. And me and Bradford just talking. Throw it Just to talking Kyle. ball. Yep. All right. I mean, it's not it's not rocket science. The guy's massive. He catches everything. Just throw it to him. All right. Eric Eager is going to come up next. So we'll throw it to Eric for some questions. All right. I don't know why any of you listen. We'll be right back here. You listen to Purple
5: Daily on Score North. Jonathan here with the Score North download. Uh, a note for tomorrow's Mackie and Judd, former Gopher, Super Bowl winning head coach, and current football Night and American analyst. Tony Dungy joins Mackey and Judd with Rami tomorrow at five to preview Vikings and Niners this Saturday afternoon from Santa Clara. That's tomorrow at five on Mackey and Judd with Rami on Score North and the free Score North mobile app. If you missed the news, Adam Thielen sustained an ankle injury in practice today and was listed on the injury report as limited. Stefan Diggs was absent for a second day with illness. J. Ron Kearse and Mackenzie Alexander were also did not practice. Linval Joseph who has a knee injury, was upgraded to limited in practice today. That's been your spawner North Now back to Purple Daily.
2: All right, I was just watching a video of Mike McCarthy talking about using PFF systems and data to make himself a better coach in Dallas the next time around. So we welcome in from PFF, data scientist Eric Eager. What is going on, Eric?
4: Hey, Matthew, is that Adam Thielen injury not just the most vikings this thing ever?
2: It's classic. In practice, of course. But <laughs> Yeah, I know. And uh, Stefan Diggs also getting sick this week and missing two days of practice. Uh, not great, Bob. Not too good uh, here for the Vikings. And, and Eric, tell me, is there any sort of number backing or anything like that to tell us how much of a challenge it is to go to New Orleans and win in a crazy, crazy atmosphere in a very physical game that went into overtime, even if it's one extra drive. It's still, I think Kyle Rudolph said, 79 offensive plays that they ended up having. Yeah. And then you got to get back in the plane, go out to San Francisco and play a team that's been waiting for you. How tough is that?
4: Yeah, I mean, we measure basically the, the effect of a, a bye. Any time in the season is about worth a point. Uh, in basically betting lines and also win probability and all that kind of stuff, so the Niners are already getting uh, a fair amount of you know they're the better team, but also they have they get a uh, an advantage with the buy and then losing that extra day, there is an advantage of ha- of playing a team on five days rest versus six days rest. So the Vikings are sort of doubly shot there uh with that, and then there's the travel distance. Also, now they're not going from West Coast to East Coast and playing at 10 a.m. their time, but there is a there is an effect uh, of traveling as far as they're going to have to travel this weekend. So uh, and and then we also there, there is also uh, basically a load factor too. If you play a lot, you know there was the one game where the Rams had to play like a hundred snaps against Tampa Bay, and then they went on the road to play Seattle on Thursday night. That does have an effect as well. So. The Vikings are behind the eight ball a little bit this week, and so they're going to really need a, a, a pretty much the same effort that they got against New Orleans.
2: So I've been looking a lot at Jimmy Garoppolo's statistics, trying to find where he might be different from Kirk Cousins, what the weaknesses might be. And one of the most fascinating storylines here, aside from will they just be too beat up to win this game, is... Mike Zimmer scheming the hell out of Sean Payton and Drew Brees and having the capability to do it again against Jimmy Garoppolo. Garoppolo did not play a very good game against the Vikings in 2018 and threw a pick six on a Mike Zimmer blitz off the edge, a zone blitz, which I don't think anyone would have expected at that time considering that it was a lot of double-A gap before that. And then he's since switched to a lot of the zone blitzes on third downs in big situations. I'm looking at Garoppolo and he's got seven picks in 185 attempts when he's blitzed, and not a very good particularly grade by PFF, yeah. is is that the key to taking down James Garoppolo?
4: Yeah, and, and unfortunately the Vikings had to use the really, I think, brilliant move of taking their two young defensive ends, Edetabo and Weatherly, and play them on the outside, Griffin and Hunter on the inside, against Breeze, because one of the things that's underrated is that Weston Richburg is, the, you know, the center for San Francisco has been out, and in the past few weeks they've really had difficulties with good interior players. And so I think the Vikings, you know, they'd be stupid not to do the same thing on third and long because Garoppolo struggles with interior pressure and Hunter and Griffin. I mean, the, the spin move that Griffin put on—I can't remember which guard it was the other day—was just amazing. Uh, and, and so hopefully, you know, if you're a Vikings fan, that that'll be deployed uh, similarly on Saturday. Um, But the other thing about Garoppolo, which is interesting, is what he is the only starting quarterback in the NFL this season with a lower average depth of target than Drew Brees. Hmm. We think of their offense as explosive, and they are, but they're explosive after the ball gets out of the hands uh, of Jimmy G, whereas Vikings are explosive in many ways because Cousins has a a really good arm and he's really accurate down the field. If you can get to Garoppolo and make him less less efficient, less accurate underneath – than the yards after the catch don't happen. And luckily for the Vikings, as is, is, you know, uh, beat up as they are defensively, they do one thing really well, and that's tackle. And so I think they do match up defensively pretty well at the Niners.
2: Okay, we can move forward this conversation just a second, but uh, Jonathan has demanded for us to guess Jimmy Garoppolo's middle name. Do you have it over there? Do you have his middle name? You look it up, but yep. we'll, we'll guess. I'm going to guess Jimmy Allen Garoppolo. What's your guess, Eric?
4: See, I think you got to go with a long winded I think it's like Jimmy Ebenezer Garoppolo.
2: I mean, yeah, no, that's right. Like no. a like a multi-syllable. What is it? It's Richard. Yeah, Richard. No, okay. That's mm, that's underwhelming. <laughs> uh,
4: yeah, so, sounds like a guy from like Northern Illinois or wherever he went to college.
2: How different, <laughs> Eastern Illinois? How different uh, is Jimmy Garoppolo from Kirk Cousins?
4: Kirk, is, I think Kirk is more talented and. You know, they're in that similar cluster where if you build a great offense around them, you can be successful. And if you build a bad offense around them, they, you can't be successful. But I think, I think Kirk Cousins is in maybe one class higher than Jimmy G, uh, just because of his arm talent, uh, his accuracy down the field. I, I think they're both bad when they're not on, when they can't like hit their back foot and throw. And they're both sort of in that category. But I think when you look at downfield accuracy, uh, I, I give the nod to Cousins.
2: So I want to mention something on the defensive side here that could be key, which is, I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo throws picks. And when you look at all the safeties in the NFL, Anthony Harris, top of the league in picks, and also top of the league in pro football focus grade, second in the NFL by just .3 to Justin Simmons of the Denver Broncos, and even ahead by just percentage points over Harrison Smith. Anthony Harris, Eric, I mean, is he the most underappreciated, underrated, under-talked-about star in the league? And it's not just this year, but he was at the top of the PFF grades last year as well.
4: Yeah, it's a real testament to how the Vikings go about their business in terms of getting under undervalued guys in the draft. I mean, he was undrafted. He was on their practice squad. I remember he started a Thursday night game in 2015 just right off the practice squad. has asserted himself, well, it took him a little bit, but he's always been that really smart player. And now we're starting to see, you know, it, where when he's in a position where he accentuates Harrison Smith more than Harrison Smith has to sort of prop him up, that's really been a very good thing for this defense because they've needed it with the cornerbacks being both ineffective and injured. Harris you know, I, I called him the Stefan Diggs of the defense the other day just because, you know, the Vikings kind of luck boxed into him uh in that position, but he is a, truly a superstar in the NFL uh and and you know great find for the Vikings.
2: What does it say about a guy when they can consistently get interceptions? Because nobody throws interceptions anymore. And yet, this is a guy who had a bunch of picks last year when he was just filling in and taking the spot. So they bring him back. And then this year, he picks off Aaron Rodgers on not a ball that's tipped by a receiver's finger or something, but he undercuts a route and makes a great play. And then Drew Brees throws a deep bomb. He jumps up and gets it like he's mossing the receiver I mean, is that a repeatable skill? Because it seems like with him that it is.
4: Yeah, you know, and I think for him it's probably repeatable just because Harrison Smith does so many things where I still think he's probably the key, right, where the quarterback is keying off of him. And so Smith can come in and – or sorry, uh, Harris can come in and make the play on the football because, you know, quarterbacks aren't going away from him. Right? But traditionally when you see a cornerback have a ton, have a ton of success, it's sort of non diasmo wide they just don't throw the ball to his side of the field for an entire year. Or with safeties, you know, they don't throw the ball to the deep middle like with Earl Thomas, uh, in Seattle. But right now with, when you have that pair between, you know, Smith and Harris, uh, I think it is repeatable because Harris is always going, Harris is going to be that guy that comes up and sort of like is in tandem. Uh, to bait the quarterback into throws that will, ter- you know, result in turnovers.
2: Well, you mentioned it. It truly is remarkable how many guys on this team were fifth-round picks, seventh-round picks, undrafted players who become huge, huge parts of the offense or defense. And I think that that is the scouting staff picking them out, but also being able to develop them uh, as well. Do we see, I mean, is this that unique? I, I think it is. Like, I, I don't think that there are teams with this many, not just okay players, but really good players that are not particularly high draft picks. But maybe it's just because I see the Vikings all the time. Is that unusual?
4: It is. Well, and I, I showed you the, you know, the, how their war stacked up. And it's it's really interesting how most teams, it's pretty, you know, it falls off after you know they pick their first round guy. He ends up being okay, and then it sort of falls off. But with Minnesota, it's very like uniform, right? They get the Daniel Hunter's in the third round, who's a bona fide superstar. They get Digs in the fifth round. They get undrafted players, um, you know, and, and some of their first round picks, like Laquan Dreadwell, Mike Hughes, and and so on, haven't haven't actually lived up to it. So, no, I think the Vikings are very good at player evaluation front to back, and then but their they're positive variants, the players that have, they've lucked out on have been in the later round, and the players that they've kind of not lucked out on have been you know the early-round players like Treadball, who was a consensus top 25 pick when they took him, but ended up not being particularly good.
2: Talking with uh, Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus, yeah, a scratch in the playoff game uh, the other day, by the way, and they threw to Alexander Hollins instead. Uh, let's talk about that offense and what, Kirk Cousins was able to do was impressive, but tell me if it's a hot take or not to say that Kirk Cousins has to be even better to win this next game.
4: Yeah, I think so. I mean, when you look at the New Orleans defense, you know, he he picked on um, Patrick Robinson when he was in the place of Marshawn Lattimore, who kind of was injured, but, you know, it's, it's Janoris Jenkins made a good play early in the game, but he's a guy that got off the scrap heap. Uh, the defensive line there without Sheldon Rankins, without... Uh, um, uh, Marcus Davenport, yeah. this Niners defense is just getting healthier, right? D4 took a month and a half off. He's back. Their defensive line has four or five first-round players. Uh, Quan Alexander's coming, probably coming off of IR to be their second-best linebacker, and he's a pretty good second-best linebacker. Uh, and then at cornerback, you know, uh, Richard Sherman's finally healthy again. Uh, Chikowiski-Tart has a great name and is also becoming healthy again. So that defense for them is getting healthier, whereas I think New Orleans' defense was a little bit banged up and just holding on. So I agree. I think Cousins fundamentally just has to be better this week. The receivers have to be better this week. They probably can't get away with an early turnover like they did. Uh, and uh, I think they even, like Dalvin Cook, I think, played terrifically, but they they averaged less than four yards a carry on his runs, I think, until overtime. They even have to be more efficient running the football with him and Alexander Madison than they were against the Saints.
2: So the running thing is fascinating to me because I wrote an article about this for our website today about how the Vikings really are the case where they need their running game and they need their running back to be effective, uh, especially if other teams are going to play two high safeties and have seven man boxes and kind of give you that, but also make life very difficult for Kirk Cousins to throw down the field. So where are we at with running game? I feel like when I was doing my Mike McCarthy visiting the PFF offices in Cincinnati over the summer, that the big debate there was how much running backs matter. And football, football football-y football people online were attacking PFF and stats people over how much it matters. But at least for this team, in a bubble here in Minnesota, Delvin Cook is massive, and their running attack, I think, is everything to whether they win or lose.
4: Yeah, I think it's interesting in that like the running game certainly matters. And if you're the Vikings, you would have rather run that game out the other day, right? Than get a 7-yard loss to Dalvin Cook that almost became a fumble, that, yeah, you know, and and give them a chance. So and, and I don't think that's ever been disputed. If running doesn't get you ahead in games, but it does close the game out. And that's extremely important. Then the, the secondary question is do running backs matter? Right? Do the particular guy running the football matter and i think with minnesota like you do get uh you, you do get enticed by by dalvin cook and he's a terrific athlete it's that the question becomes okay well if you stick alexander madison in there who's his you know third round pick direct replacement how much worse do you get and i think you can make an argument this is says probably more about madison than a slight to cook but it's probably not that much over the long haul like cook gets you all these yards and stuff like that and then the question becomes okay Can Dalvin Cook repeat what he did in 2019 and 2020, and that's really where you get to the point where uh, running backs really aren't as valuable. But in the here and now, in this one particular game, uh, I'm you know I look at this game and I think I if I was running a team, I'd rather have Dalvin Cook than some random guy in the fourth round. So it's kind of messy, but I I still stand on the side of you need to you know you need to be able to run the ball at the end of games and. Uh, it's better to have a really talented running back than a not really talented one, but I'm not going to invest a ton of money or draft capital in one of those guys.
2: Yeah, I understand. It really is sort of two different conversations. How does it matter to this weekend's game what Delvin Cook does? And he is a special talent who can create a lot of yards after contact and turn a check down into a huge gain and do explosive play, but would other people be able to do it at close enough of a level to pay That's going to be a conversation that we end up having in, I'm not sure how long, depending. Maybe we'll just call it March for now, I guess, Um, and and we'll see which way the Vikings want to go. But at least for this weekend's game, it ends up being huge. Now, something that's uh, more important here, Eric, is we had in Hot Routes yesterday this question. Uh, I need you to pick an all-time offense for the 49ers that does not include Steve Young, Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, or Terrell Owens. So quarterback, running back and two receivers without using young Montana Rice and Owens. Who would be okay. the people that you would pick?
4: Well, Tim or Tay at quarterback. I'm I'm just kidding. So, uh let's Well, I think I think you got to go Tim with Jeff T- Garcia at quarterback. Tim or
2: Tay's second appearance on the show today.
4: <laughs> I, I think you have to go with Jeff Garcia who is very Yes. Good, yes. Uh, and and I think a little bit underrated. Um for his work after he was a Niner, I'm going to say Ed McCaffrey at wide receiver because he he played for the Niners early. Wow, part that of his
2: seems career. like kind of a cop out. Ed McCaffrey okay. is not a 49er. Come I, on,
5: okay,
4: uh, you can't okay. do that. Um, uh, JJ Stokes, do I have, um, John John Taylor, I, John Taylor, yeah, John a game winning touchdown yeah. against the Super Bowl, of yeah, course, so, yeah, and then and then. Uh, I would go with Roger Craig over Frank Gore.
2: Okay, yeah, because a thousand yards receiving and a thousand yards rushing is incredibly impressive. As yeah. much as we like the Frank Gore on former the show.
4: Viking too, he played. He ended his Viking great. Minnesota you could say <laughs> also a Nebraska Cornhusker. Yeah, so uh, yeah, that I, and then uh, yeah, and they had some great tight ends too. Obviously Kittle today, but Brent Jones was uh, was an absolute he was an absolute baller back yes. in the day. So they they've had quite a history. Who's winning? I think it's San Francisco, but the betting market – I think I think the Vikings will keep it a lot closer than the markets indicate. I The spread is about seven points. I think they keep it – I think it's more of a field goal game, and that's how the Niners have played a lot of their home games this year. So if you're a Vikings fan, be cautiously optimistic.
2: Okay, yeah. I, I mean, this matchup is, is just really excellent, and I'm, I am picked a close game last week. I'm going to pick a close game this week. I have a tough time getting over what this team has gone through already to be here uh, considering last week, so it's going to be hard to pick the Vikings. But this this matchup, though, man, it's like as good as you can get. It's two teams looking in the mirror, and, and I just couldn't love it more for a, a second-round matchup for the Vikings.
4: Absolutely. I mean, th- let's put it this way. I'm a lot more optimistic about Minnesota this week than I was last week when they were, you know, uh, eight and a half win dogs, and 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 you know Drew Brees was considered the you know the quarterback of the best team in the NFC and all that kind of stuff. They got over that hurdle, and I think you know let down aside, I think that they're this will be a fun matchup. And and if you're a Vikes fan, hopefully win, and lose or draw, you can enjoy probably what's going to be a great game.
2: All right, Eric, always appreciate you coming on, and uh, we will do it again very soon. Win or lose for the Vikings. Thanks for your time, man.
4: Yeah, thanks for having
2: me. Follow Eric Eager at PFF underscore Eric and uh, listen to the PFF forecast. Every time I jog, I am listening to him and George Shahuri talk about football on the PFF forecast. And if you are a gambler, then you understand a lot more of their gambling language than I do when they talk about overs, unders, and which way you should be going. I I don't understand that, but all the other football stuff I do. So it's a great podcast. I don't understand not picking Yelbertson.
5: Yeah, as your kid. Yeah,
2: that's true. Yeah, I don't know why he didn't think of Y. A. Tittle as his quarterback. It's the it's the obvious answer to that. Yeah. All right, just a few minutes left on the show here, and I just I can't help it. I have to read a tweet from Kyle Rudolph because this, this is, is wow. this really blew my mind here. So uh, Kyle Rudolph just tweeted a member of the media in the locker room after the game asked if he could have my gloves for a charity benefit. So I said yes. And will even sign them for you. Well, he got me sold on eBay three days later. And he's got the screen grab of Kyle Rudolph's signature, which obviously he's confirming is what he wrote on those gloves, sold for $350. Wow, really? You know, I, I will say, the locker rooms after a game is what the... Like there are so many people, and right. on the road it's so small, and I don't know half the people that are in there on a road game because you have opposing media, you have national media, you have word of the day, you have schmucks who you don't even know who they work for <laughs> or where word. they came from. Like everybody is just gets a credential. And remember, was it uh, Brady's helmet or something or yeah, Brady's jersey, was the jersey? Yeah, and then sold. In Mexico or something? I mean, it was like some weird situation. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean... That for, was during the Super Bowl when security's significantly tighter. I would say this. If I were just... This is not Kyle Rudolph's fault. He's trying to be nice. He's trying to do something for someone. Mm-hmm. And, hey, whatever, man. The gloves don't mean that much to me. And maybe you'll be able to help somebody with them. I get where he's coming from. Um, a person in the media should never, ever, right. ever, ever be asking players to give them stuff for even a charity thing. Any kind of thing, ever. So that should be like a major red flag that any legitimate member of the media, if you needed to do that, let's say that we were doing some sort of charity thing, mm-hmm. we would go to the team and we would say, here's what we're doing, and maybe you guys could connect with Rudolph and he could do this for us to just go directly to the player and be like, hey, can you give me your gloves? I'm going to do them for charity. Mm-hmm. No, that, that that's a red flag, and that is garbage that that happened, and that sucks for Kyle Rudolph. Yeah. It's uh, It is that... Time of year, I guess, where a lot of people that you don't recognize end up around. And Alex Boone talked about that as sort of part of the fervor of the playoffs. Is just the locker room is full of people. The week leading up, I mean, especially when they went to the NFC Championship game, there were all sorts of people that I didn't know who were coming in and out. And they were always like, wait, should I be talking to this person? Should I not be talking to this person? And, and on and on. And uh, that's really unfortunate for Kyle Rudolph. So before we wrap up today, um, I guess I wanted to just, just circle back a little bit because I didn't get to it enough with Sage, because there's only like a couple minutes left before we turn the ball over to Mackie and John with Rami, to the really fun piece by Jeremy Fowler on like uh, executives making predictions toward the future. Mm-hmm. And we talked about where Brady's going to end up, and I heard you guys interview yesterday with uh, – Mike Greenberg, and he said Tampa Bay for Tom Brady, which I think is lots of fun. Uh, Him and Bruce Arians working together with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin would be really something. (laughs) But there's some other ones on here that are intriguing. Uh, The Redskins will make the playoffs is another one of them, which I I think is totally possible. With Ron Rivera? Yeah. Yeah, For
5: for Ron Rivera, that's another one of the headlines in the story. He seems to be reshaping that entire organization. Yeah, and
2: I think that that's right. And again, with coaches and how we evaluate them that oftentimes it's, well, did he go for it on fourth down or not? Which which is part of it, and mm-hmm. nobody's brain implodes inside my skull more when I see somebody at the other 35 punting. <laughs> but that's not really wins and losses in an organization and your reputation. And Rivera was part of turning the Carolina Panthers from a bus fire being very good I think that that's a decent take and if they draft Chase Young and Dwayne Haskins makes progress as he started to at the end of last year maybe he can convince Trent Williams to come back and play for them again well he got rid of the medical staff didn't he he got basically an entirely new medical staff that's the right way to go right right off the top is to do that Um, and uh, Terry McLaurin also their receiver is awesome Uh, also the predictions that the NFL will dump pass interference review yeah I mean you have to They They kind of did halfway through the season, didn't they? Yeah, basically. They botched it so badly that they have to. But it shows a video inside of the article of Kyle Rudolph and his play (laughs) being discussed. And I just want people to stop with that. If half the room could not decide whether they wanted Mm -hmm. it to be pass interference or not, and the other half was screaming at the top of their lungs that it was, you can't overturn it. If, If he had taken the guy and thrown him down to the ground and caught it, and they didn't call it, you would have a beef. But just the, the littlest contact and, and extension of the arms that was suspect, I don't have any problem with them not overturning it. And here's my favorite one uh, in terms of these executive predictions. Philip Rivers to sign with the Colts. Whoa.
5: Yeah, that's an interesting one. I've heard plenty I of him it. going to Tennessee because that's where he's from, but to the Colts. I love it. Well, this also predicts Ryan Tannehill will get a big
2: contract. That extension. makes sense. Yeah, yeah it does. Uh, small sample, but really, really good sample surprising sample yeah okay mackie and judd with rami coming up next tomorrow it is path to victory day me and boone and mystery guest i actually know this mystery guest though and it's good it's yeah, really good so we will do that tomorrow you're listening uh, to score north
0: if you own a small to medium-sized business that kept employees on payroll through COVID, you may have a big cash refund waiting for you The Employee Retention Credit is a tax credit of up to $26,000 per employee. And now, more businesses than ever qualify. The experts at RefundsPro.com specialize in cutting through the red tape of qualifying for this government program. Most of their refunds are over $100,000. Even businesses that have received PPP funds may be eligible. And there are absolutely no fees unless you receive a refund. So there's no reason not to apply. If your business experienced shutdowns, limited capacity, supply chain challenges, or reduced revenue due to COVID, you likely qualify. RefundsPro.com has already helped hundreds of businesses, so don't lose the refund you're owed by missing the deadline. Get started today with a free five-minute questionnaire at RefundsPro.com. That's Refunds with an S, Pro.com. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar,